Salutations, everybody. It is Maddie here today, and get ready, because I'm going to wish every single one of you who have clicked on the video, who have decided to listen to us on mobile, I'm wishing each and every one of you a fantastic day. Welcome to episode 299 of the Ham Radio Podcast. We're just one away for episode 300. It's crazy to think how this all began, right? We we started it all off with a DM to Lone Vault Wanderer, and now a community manager over at Bethesda, one of the leads of the Australian community for Bethesda. That's crazy. And then a phone call to Noah, and it started from there seven, six and a half years ago, back in 2014. Uh, here we are in 2021 about to celebrate episode 300, where I thought this show was going to die a couple of years ago. Not going to lie, like 2017 to 19, it really just meandered quite a bit. Uh, and, and now here we are, and the show's doing better than it's ever done before. So to those of you who gave our show a chance with an open mind, despite the high episode count, thank you. And I'm so happy I stuck with it and just kind of believed in a very relaxed, chill, flexible show, right? Uh, a lot of shows are built off their leaks, they're built off of the consistency of hosts, which we really don't do that well. And um, we've rotated so many different voices in and out of it that I think that's one of our show's strongest things about it. Uh, we just have so many different people talking on it, and it's always a good time. And that's what's important to me about this show is, you know, we talk about the game news. But I think last week was one of our best episodes where we talked about fucking the, the, the lore of Imitation Crab. Uh, so... Roll call. We got to do this. We got to round up where the boys are at because I know a lot of you care about that type of stuff, whether I'm the one missing or Carrick's missing or Dustin's missing. Both of them are missing. You're stuck with me this time around, but it's okay. Your boy's a solo podcast expert. I do this a lot. (laughs) Um, So Dustin let me know way, 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 way ahead of time. Like we literally finished recording our last episode and I think it was the next day that Dustin let me know like, hey, I'm going camping. Won't be there this Friday. And so... That's great with me. Like, I love early notice because you can prepare. So this whole, this whole week, I'm thinking to myself, myself, Carrick, we're going to bang one out. It's going to be defining Duke 2.0 for a lot of people, and that's fine. Uh, but as you can see, if you're watching the video version, got the COVID vaccine, first dosage. Uh, I'm always typically highly reactive to shots of any kind, and I feel the symptoms immediately. So I feel good now, but uh, I'm recording this at 721 at night. I uh, I had to just literally lay low for a little bit. I had about a 40-minute drive home, and I was like, I feel like shit right now. Um, drank some water, just laid on the couch here in the studio and just chilled for a little bit. Um, didn't want to you know, force anything, right? This is a, a very new experience for all of us. So I wanted to you know, really uh, wind down a bit. And so I texted Carrick. I said, hey, dude, I'm going to need like an extra hour or so. Uh, compared to our normal recording time. And I said, if you don't got that time, I get it. I'm dropping on you last minute. Uh, I'll do a solo show, but I really don't want to skip this episode. And I want to make sure that we have an episode. Um, So of course, if you're down to wait, let's do that. He said he had a couple of other things that were scheduled after the show. Um, So I said, all right, you know, it was, you know, like I think I asked him for an hour tops, Uh, but I said, all right, cool. No problem. It will be a solo show. And that's fine. The audience has shown that, they're willing to listen and enjoy these types of things. You know, I look at the I look at the watch time more than anything. The viewership, who gives a fuck, all right? It's about the watch time. What speaks to me is when you click on something of mine that you're hanging around for long enough. Not because I'm 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 dangling the carrot in front of you like there's a leak somewhere in here, but you're here because maybe you care about uh what your boy has to say and that uh that to me matters more than anything 
not as like an egomaniac, but you know, just because I like to converse with people, as you can tell by the length of my videos <laughs> and the topics I talk about, which is like everything news related. Uh, yeah, so this has been a uh, an interesting week for me. Um, been really focusing in on the health before we get into what we're playing. It's about how Maddie's doing. Um, invested in a standing desk attachment that I'm going to build over the weekend, and I'm going to bring it here to this studio. So I do three different podcasts a week now. Um, and I would love to not sit for like nine hours a week on top of my editing. And when I'm managing stuff for my channel, uh, I'd love to be standing for some of that time. So I got a standing desk attachment that's going to sit on this desk here and it's going to lift up whenever I feel like standing. So, and a lot of my podcast, you're going to see me up on my feet soon. And I'm very excited about that. Um, so we did that, um, starting to take better care of my mental health. Now, um, I feel like I neglected that because I love my work. So when I'm here doing this type of stuff, I'm having a great time, but it became a thing of work was too therapeutic for me, um, where I was going to it to just, I don't want to say feel better. That's not the right term. Um, I was going to it though, to, uh, cope or whatever you want to call it. And I recognize that, while it's great, I have a job so fun and enjoyable and that I love so dearly that I can do something like that. Um, I also have to understand that there's probably a healthier way for me to live the rest of my life with that same level of enjoyment. So um, been been working on that uh, starting this week and that's been really nice, you know, just kind of changing my disposition, looking into therapy, of course, you know, a lot of people like are scared, understandably so, to talk about their uh, mental illnesses or whatever, but I've always been transparent about my anxiety and all that shit. Um, my depression and all that shit. Like I, I, I think it's good just to treat it as casually as possible. Cause that's, I think the way to progression is like, Hey, yep. Uh, yep. I struggle with anxiety. What the fuck of it? <laughs> you know, like, uh, so yeah. Um, working on, on a lot of that type of stuff on a, on a personal level. And so, uh, feeling good because there's that turning point for those of you who are looking for that light at the end of the tunnel, there is that turning point where you wake up and use for me, it, it's happened twice. Now this is the second time it's happened. Um, in the last five years where I've woken up and been like, man, fuck feeling like this. And my first step is always changing my demeanor because I'm a big believer in it's about how you react, um, to things. And so not suppressing your emotions, but like normally something that would tick me off because you know, for me with my anxiety, I become a short fuse over time. I'm just like, Oh, 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 I'm ugh-ing everywhere. Uh, but eventually I recognize that as I have now. And it's like, okay, have some patience, think, then react. And creating that filter for my emotions has been great because I've felt mentally healthier and emotionally healthier already. So just a little bit of love from me to you to start this off. This is what the Maddie Solo Show is all about, right? We we get philosophical and then we get into games. That's how it works here. Uh, so for those of you who are here to know what I'm playing and get the latest on the news, we're going to be talking about PS5 sales records as well as some of the MPD numbers. Uh, Square Enix denying the rumors of acquisitions, uh, which we talk about in a separate video. And Wasteland 3 getting a brand new expansion. All of that is in this episode on top of your patron questions. So if you're new here and you want to support this show, uh, first of all, holy shit, we're about to pass 400 patrons. We started our Patreon back in 2017 with Friendly Competition, which is a series I, I love to death. If you have yet to watch that Let's Play series, uh, it, it did not do anything numbers-wise. And I'm usually not driven that way, but I mean, I was putting a lot of time into it. And um, 
we were not seeing any traction. Our highest view count for a episode was 10,000, I want to say, which just isn't that good for the days I spent on them. But really proud of that being there. When we started with that and a couple of other series ideas, um, we we were at about 100 patrons. We sat around that 100 to 150 range for a while. The fact that in well over a year, we're about to pass... Um, I'm talking about in this last year, the growth we've seen. We're about to pass 400. Wow. Seriously, thank you for your belief. And so if you want to support that, um, go ahead. Check out the link in the description down below. Patreon.com slash Mr. Matty Plays. Early access to this show for a buck. Um, we do monthly Q&As and we do videos on a bi-weekly basis. This one's a little bit later for the patrons who are listening. Um, it's an Elder Scrolls Online video. It took a little bit of time because me and my girlfriend typically play that together. And so I wanted to play that with her while capturing gameplay because uh, it was easier for me to do it this way for some of the content I wanted to capture. Um, so that's why there was a delay on that. So it was usually on a bi-weekly basis. This took about three weeks um, so we're producing that now. I have all the gameplay and I'm going to record a vlog on Monday and, and that'll be out in this coming week finally. So I do apologize for that delay. Um, and it's because as well, um, before we really get into what we're playing, a little bit of housekeeping here that I think is important. Um, I'm changing a little bit of how I think of my approach to content. So what I mean by that is I obviously do a lot of news. I do a lot of discussions, reviews, um, and that's sort of what I'm about. I'm more of a commentator, which I like to be. I'm very opinionated, but not in a rude way. I try to just shoot it straight and be respectful at the same time, which a lot of people try to act like, I don't like the mince words, so I'm going to be a piece of fucking shit. And it's like, okay, okay, dude. Yeah, like, just say you're pissed. Like, just say you're pissed. Um, where I try to just keep it real and, uh, you know, you can, you can level with creatives that way. Like for me, the, the, I think of it this way as someone who gets feedback on my videos, I don't listen to the person who's like, you suck clickbait asshole. Duh, duh, duh. Uh, I listen to the person who's like, I've been watching for a while and here's just a essay on how I feel. Um, because it shows the person cares and that cuts a little bit deeper. Um, so I feel like in my case in my videos, yeah, we goof off and stuff, but, um, you know, I always believe in that type of content and I'm thinking beyond that now. And so none of that is going to change. And I will just for those of you who listen to the podcast, which a decent amount of the audience does. But for those of you who do, you can expect a video addressing this, by the way, in the future. Um, what I want to do is sort of set up a framework uh, moving forward. So I want to talk about um, Final Fantasy IX, for example. I want to look into a couple of other games. Uh, I have some series ideas in mind. Um, some more creatively driven things on top of the news and discussions we do. Because what happens is I'm working every day and I'm, I'm happy with the, the, the in income I get through all my platforms and I'm happy with the performance of the channel. But the reality is, is that I do spend a shit ton of time working and I'm looking for a way to grow the channel and sort of sustain some viewership without me being there every single day, uh, which I've been doing for half a decade. I've been here every single day, which I love. It's a testament to how much I love it because you can see my energy and it's still here all these years later. But I recognize long-term, this probably isn't the smartest game plan for me. And so that's led to me thinking creatively. Why is that? Because news videos do well. You can look at my channel. My channel does well. 
But once you get a video out there and I make it on the news, that's it after three days. Like it doesn't build viewership. Like no one checks the news on something three days old or four days old. And that's fine. That's kind of the nature of that content. Um, but because it's higher effort, you know, it's more long form. I try to visually represent what I'm talking about. Um, there's a, there's a bit of a catch there and I don't want to sacrifice quality. So what I've looked into is let's look at some other games. Let's look at some other series that I can do creatively. And by that, I mean, I don't need to wait for a news roundup. I don't need to wait for the industry to do something. I want to do something. So I'm going to over time, introduce pieces of content like that to the channel and I promise you it's going to be some of my best work. The reason I say that is because uh, these ideas I have are like really, I think, groundbreaking in a couple of ways. Um, and I think they also fit the channel in a couple of ways as well. Uh, some are pie in the sky, which you probably won't see for years. And then some are, are absolutely doable right now that I'm going to chase. And we're going to look into a, a, a Patreon 3.0 kind of thing um, because I've had a... Uh, a line for each phase of my channel. Uh, the first was, I believe it was uh, uh, more Then the second was quality. And then this is more creating. Uh, and so that's kind of my personal belief is we're entering this third phase where things are going to stay the same. You're still going to get like multiple news updates every week. But if I could get videos out there that get legacy views is what it's called. Like they do better over time. If I can do those types of things on top of news, we'll be golden. Like we will be golden. I'll be in a healthy state. I can feel comfortable saying, Hey, I'm going to take this weekend off. Uh, I think that's super important. And I think the reality is I've been running away from it is I need to chase these creative projects, but I need to lean into the Patreon more. Um, and I've always felt uncomfortable about that. Cause I haven't done that since 2017 or yeah, 2017, when there was massive demonetization going on and there was a surge on the Patreon to help that out. And so um, I'm thinking after all this time, the quality I've built up um, that uh, when I, when I have a call to arms kind of moment and that'll be some time. Cause like I said, I want to set up a framework, show people first so they can look at these videos and then decide if they want to support. So we're looking into that type of content uh, formatting, um, and I'm really excited about it because it's going to be more on top of what I do now, uh, because I think that's the best way in the future. A lot of people seem to may be making their way to my channel. A lot of people I've also noticed seem to be giving me like a, I put it in quotes, a second chance for my fallout four days, for my Bethesda days, for my teenage days where I was just super immature. Um, and I totally, I, I totally love to see that. Uh, so I, I just want to make sure that, um, you know, I, 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 provide the quality that is deserved. But anyway, enough of that. We got smart water here on tap. Mm. Delicious. Let's talk about what we're playing. All right. So I have been playing Republic Commando. And I have to say, this game has still aged well. I have a couple of people who have written in saying, no, it hasn't. And I don't know how you could think so. There's literally no other Star Wars game like this. So for those who don't know, uh, it goes by the name Star Wars Republic Commando. It just had a re-release on Nintendo Switch and PS5 slash 4. Um, you can also pick up right now the limited run physical copies, which your boy is doing for sure. Going to get the most expensive version I can because I love this game. Grew up with it. 
It's about a five to seven hour first person shooting campaign set in the Star Wars universe. You play as the Delta squad and it's a squad based shooter um, where you can give your squad commands like, you know, man that turret, snipe from that perch uh, and so on and so forth. And it's a it's a pretty competent first person shooter for its time. And so when you meld all that together with a really unique atmosphere and a certain grittiness, like you have a vibroblade or something like that on your on your wrist, there's a special name for it. And you can melee, and when you do, you actually stab an enemy. Um, and not just droids, but uh, Geonosians and Transdotians. You'll stab them, and blood will hit your visor, and it'll wipe off. And there are these little things that just build the atmosphere of this game. And I've played this game more times than I can count. There's... When I know a game front to back, when I can truly sit here and just summon memories, like a goddamn spell, that's when I know I love something because it means my brain's just prioritized it. It's that valuable of an experience because there's so many names and movies and shows and comics and manga, things I, I watch and read and play. And it's hard for sometimes them all to stick because some are better than others. And so when something transcends time for me, that's a true indicator that I love something, but something like a Persona 5 where it's this 130 plus hour game and I was able to talk about it moment to moment as if I just played it yesterday, despite it being such a big experience and at the time being a game from 2017, that says a lot, right? So that's how I usually rank the value of a game. Like I still think about Hitman 3 and the Dartmoor Mansion level all the time. And, and granted, that was only three months ago, but it's still there, and you can just summon that information immediately. So more to my point, when it comes to Republic Commando, this game is fantastic. 20 bucks. Uh, I was gifted a code by Aspire, so just know that they had provided that to me, and I appreciate it. Um, but I am buying a limited run copy absolutely with my own money because that shit looks bomb. Um and I'm thinking about getting a copy for both the, the Switch and the PS4. I mean, I cannot stress how much I like this game. I own it digitally on my Xbox, so I need to get an original copy of Republic Commando for my for my physical collection, uh, for sure. I'm visiting a uh, local game shop this, uh, this weekend, so I definitely want to go ahead and uh, peruse their offerings. Uh, check out some PS3 games, that's for damn sure, but also check out... Um, the, see if they have Republic Commando. Uh, if you're on Xbox only, uh, a lot of the back compat updates there, like the frame rates on cap, so it's going to run at 60 FPS. Um, the back compat updates make it look better. Um, HDR should be applied, if I remember correctly. And so it overall runs well, plays well, $20 well spent. And I just really strongly recommend those of you who have nor- ignored this. Give it a look. Uh, it has one of the biggest cliffhangers in a Star Wars game, but it is still a legendary Star Wars game. There's nothing like it. Like, there's really not. You can say Battlefront, I guess, um, because you can switch to the first-person point of view, but this is first-person only, and it's a like a scripted campaign. Uh, it's got just this, this vibe to it. Uh, I'll just say this. The Prosecutorship, if you haven't played it, the Prosecutorship, one of the best moments in Star Wars gaming. It's just untouchable. In its creepiness. Creepy Star Wars is just underrated in general. Um, so in the beginning of KOTOR 2, when you board the uh, that Republic ship, I forgot the name of it, um, from the uh, Paragus mining facility, and, and you see Darth Sion just standing there. It's like, what the f- 
fuck like that i i just i remember that moment so well as a kid the prosecutor used to scare the shit out of me as a kid because it's a squad based shooter and i'll just say this much it's a squad based shooter and then you get on this republic ship and and at that time in star wars i mean it's the republic era it's lively everything's doing all right we're on the brink of war but you know we're pretending everything's okay and then you get on this ship after everything you've seen in the star wars media and it's empty and there's a ton of dead clone troopers and you just have none of your squad with you. You've all been separated and you're all like calling out to each other. People are like disappearing left and right. I mean, it, it oozes atmosphere. Um, so a lot to love about Republic Commando still to this day. Going to get the Platinum Trophy hopefully this weekend. Um, outside of that, I have been playing Oddworld Soulstorm. Uh, Oddworld Soulstorm, I am in. So just know that by the time that this podcast is live, uh, the, the public will already know through a video I'm in the game. Um, I held off on making the video for a little bit, but I decided to pull the trigger because at first I thought, hey, this is going to look a little egotistical. Like I'm going to make this longer video talking about my experience and what was five lines or whatever in a game. But um, as I say in that video, and I won't repeat it here, it's just a very cool full circle moment for me. And I want to have that to show friends, family, extended family, um, and just have for myself. Um, I've already saved it on a hard drive and all that stuff. So pretty cool. But when it comes to the game itself, I saw Game Informer gave it a five. And I was fucking flabbergasted because I looked at their review and everything here. Maybe I can bring it up because I, I do, as a lot of you know, I like Game Informer. Um, and I do have their site up right now because I, I use it for our podcast a lot of times. They gave it a five. I'm looking right now. They say the CG cutscenes look great, and I love seeing the camera pan out when dozens of Mudokins scurry in the background. So one positive. Sound, the voice acting remains charming and humorous, but the soundtrack is unremarkable. That's fine. Playability. The platforming feels much better compared to new and tasty, but the controls are still stiff. I don't know what they're playing. And clunky and can cost you your life against quick drawing enemies. Once again, don't know what they're playing. Entertainment. Soulstorm has oodles of charm and tedious design and annoying bugs, making an experience that is only that only the most hardcore and forgiving Oddworld fans might enjoy. And um, I don't know if I, I almost think that's overly harsh. <laughs> like I'm not trying to be really overly nice for the game because I'm in it because I know my role is inconsequential. And it's been, I've been just so you know, I was offered this role five years ago. So I've had half a decade to get over it and have it register. So now that it's happening, I can just show the clip in game. That's why it's a big deal. It make it warms my heart. But objectively speaking, I would I would ignore that opinion. <laughs> in all seriousness, um this is a I think a really solid odd world game. And the reason I say that is because I've been a lifelong fan of it, and I wouldn't say I'm hardcore. I've replayed it a lot, uh, for sure, but I mean over the years, I've played it less and less because there have been less Oddworld games, right? They just started doing these remakes with like New and Tasty and Soulstorm. Uh, what I like about Soulstorm is the addition of crafting and and finding materials in the world and doing crazy stuff, um, which you normally can't do in Oddworld games. And what's interesting is the complaint in this Game Informer review I'm looking at was about how it's difficult, it's frustrating, and Oddworld was never an easy series from day one back in the 90s. Like, it was never, never, ever, ever an easy series. 
not because of controls or anything. It just wasn't an easy game. You had to like solve these mini puzzles in a level to save all the Mudokins or in the case of Munch's Odyssey, all the puzzles as well. Um, so I like it because one of the core principles of Oddworld's game design is vulnerability. You're Abe, you're this kind of clueless, like, I don't know what to do. And he, um, he's figuring his way through all these, these conundrums. Um, and he can only do it through the game speak mechanic where you tell people to follow him or wait here. And you have to do it carefully to make sure you're leading people to safety. Um, but even in Munch's Odyssey where you could click the right thumbstick and you could like throw punches and stuff. Abe would get destroyed in a fight. He's super, super weak, um, no matter what you do. So what you'd have to do is is upgrade your Mudokins to Tomahawks, who would have these like melee weapons. And there were uh, Mudokins that had a, I'm forgetting their name now, but they had a kind of a gun on their hand that they would shoot. And so that would be the most powerful upgrade of the Mudokin that you could get. And so that's what I loved about Munch's Odyssey were these like tiers of upgrades for the people you had to save too. Uh, and there was a, a, a tier of combat as well in there that I enjoyed. Um, but what happened is you always felt vulnerable. You would sometimes in Munch's Odyssey, I remember very well, uh, you'd have to watch your team fight for you. And that was part of the game. And I recognize that more now, but when I was younger, it was frustrating. So in this game, it feels almost like this childhood dream has come to life because I'm able to say, hey, let me, let me create this brew and I see a, a campfire over there, I'm going to throw it, and I'm going to light this this slig on fire and kill him. And I, I love that about the game. So I think that um, those types of moments are really, they feel really good. And the crafting, while crafting's been overdone in a lot of games, it feels very at home in Oddworld. It makes a lot of sense, right? You have this 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 guy who's just trying to like get his way through levels day by day and... <laughs> And and it's a challenging game, and so you have to make smart use of your resources to save everyone. And um, I think it's lent uh, a new way to uh, play Oddworld, and I like it a lot because you're not overpowered. You just have the ability to contribute, and that is what should be happening in a game. So I think it's an improvement, foundationally speaking. Um, only complaint I really have about it is the HUD. I think the HUD's overly basic, and I'm usually not one for flashy HUD outside of Persona 5. I get it. Uh, but really, I'm not a big flashy HUD guy. You don't have to wow me, but this is like very basic unity level HUD. And, uh, I would like to have seen something more in theme with the game. So overall really liking odd world soul storm about four or five hours into it now. And I'm digging it. I'm, I'm really enjoying it. Um, you know, but once again, do note I'm in the game, so I don't want to hear about bias and shit, but whatever. Uh, what else have I played? I think that's it. Oh, 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 oh. How did I forget? I started Mega Man Legends. Big Mega Man guy here. I'm trying to let more people know this because I would like to make certain videos about Mega Man in the future. That'd be really nice. Um, I don't, I don't, I don't, little story. I don't talk about it enough. Um, Mega Man was like my Pokemon growing up. I said this in a video. For those of you who watched it all, like 13K of you, hey, salute. Appreciate you for doing that. Um, but yeah, Mega Man was my Pokemon growing up. So the X series was like major for me, you know, especially X8. That was like the last X game. I would love to see the X series come back. But the X series was huge for me. X Command Mission was one of my favorite RPGs growing up. Uh, it showed me that spinoffs can be awesome. Battle Network was just masterpiece. I fucking love Mega Man Battle Network. Uh, so please check these games out if you have yet to. But um, 
Yeah, Mega Man Legends was a Mega Man game I often ignored because um, I I thought there was a I, I mixed it up I think with X Seven because X Seven gave Mega Man a really bad 3D rep, uh, whereas Mega Man Legends One and Two and then Three was only in Japan. Um, they showed hey. Mega Man in 3D can work, and it's funny because those games are really old. Uh, and they and so I've been playing Mega Man Legends uh, just a little bit, about an hour. Didn't play it long, but I fired it up on my Vita because um, there's certain games that I want to have access to. Like I don't want to always boot up, say, a PS1. So I've been conscious of these PlayStation classics uh, that I can download to my Vita and have on my account. So I got like Breath of Fire. Um, I got Suikoden in 2, uh, Mega Man Legends 1 and 2. And I think I got something else, but it's not coming to mind right now. Point being, though, is I I, I got a couple of games just because the store is going to close down. And so Mega Man Legends um, has I've been I thought it was really enjoyable so far. Can't say much else other than I like it. I like the the uh, music. Um, I love the the sound effects of Mega Man when he walks around. Uh, that's been there since like the beginning. But um, I'm really liking Legends more than I expected, and so I'm hoping they. They, you know, they've done a zero collection. The zero games are really good. They're on Game Boy Advance. If you haven't played them, they have a collection out now on the PS4 and Switch. I think Xbox. Um, I'm not sure on that one, but um, you can play those games. And so they're missing the Mega Man X Command Mission. They haven't brought that back. Battle Network as a collection is, I think, going to happen. Um, I remember seeing in that leak there was a mentioning of something connecting to Battle Network or a character or a faction in Battle Network, which. I mean, I don't know what else it would be, but uh, yeah, Battle Network coming back would be solid, and I think that's probably the next thing they'll do because that was a Game Boy Advance only thing. And um, honestly, let me pull up the Ebays right here because Mega Man Battle Network One, I got that complete in box for about eighty bucks um, last year in the summer. And I don't even think there are any listings for Mega Man Battle Network 1. Yeah, there aren't. Like, this game is... The cartridge alone is going for 129 And I got the box with the manual and the slots and everything for... I'm looking right now. Mega Man Blue sealed $500. Um, the only affordable Battle Network game is they ported uh, Team Colonel and Team Proto Man to DS. So you can get the dual pack on DS. But yeah, these games are great. And I think given their price, would really like to see Capcom re-release these and have more people experience them. Um, wow, I'm looking at some of these prices. Holy smokes. <laughs> anyway, um, more to my point. Been playing Mega Man Legends and really liking it. And uh, prices are going up on that. So I'm sure complete box copy could could probably get get a thousand bucks for it if you really wanted to all right let's get into the news starting off with some sales records for playstation i thought this was important because of course this is going to carry into the conversation surrounding playstation as of late uh, and some of the bad press they got so this comes from game informer uh we're going to read the article directly uh it's written by liana rupert uh the march us npd sales numbers are in and continues to trend with Nintendo Switch being the best-selling hardware platform both in units and dollars, Call of Duty returning to the top spot for games, and PS5 coming in shattering U.S. fastest-selling console records. NPD analyst Matt Piscatella broke down March U.S. sales going over the spending trends according to key areas of the market, including accessories, content, and hardware. 
the month of March saw a record of $5.6 billion across the board, which is an 18% increase from the year before. The ongoing pandemic and work from home orders are an attributing factor, as well as a new generation of systems becoming available in sporadic waves. So I had to um, open up a separate tab here for Matt's tweets. Cause I don't know why I'm still fucking blocked. I don't know what, what did I do? I, I like, do I, I, I don't even know, man. This guy's got me blocked though. He's got me blocked. what did I do? Come on, Matt. We're, we get, we share the names, dude. The hell's up with that. Anyway, uh, here is his tweets, uh, March, 2021 us NPD thread, um, March, 2021 consumer spending across video game, hardware content and accessories reached a March record, March record of $5.6 billion, 18% higher than a year ago. Uh, the U.S. NPD spend trend, monthly sales are now comparable to a year ago that were impacted by pandemic-driven consumer spending increases. March 2021, gains in hardware, accessories, and content sales pushed the market to growth despite the elevated competition. Uh, he also shared the 2021 top 20 sellers for all platforms. So I got to zoom in because I have it up on a separate tab. So I got to hold control and zoom here. All right. So we got number one, Call of Duty Black Ops Cold War for the month of March. Then we got Monster Hunter Rise at number two. Makes sense. That comes from Capcom. Square Enix's Outriders, number three. Keep an eye on next month for Outriders. That'll be very telling because there was a surge of hype for that. That's March 2021, though. Are these all pre-sales? Because the game came out first of I don't know how that would actually work. Interesting, nonetheless. I think it shows that the game sold ahead of launch pretty well. Uh, number four, Mar- Super Mario 3D World. Number five, Marvel's uh, Spider-Man, Miles Morales. Six, Mario Kart 8. It moved up from nine to six this month. Uh, Assassin's Creed Valhalla stays at number seven. That game continues to do extremely well. Animal Crossing New Horizons at number eight. Super Mario 3D All-Stars, which, yep, it's going to get a surge because it went off the the market. Um, But I'm curious how that game will do long-term in its price. I don't think it'll be as expensive as people expect. Minecraft at number 10. Call of Duty Modern Warfare at 11. Uh, Super Smash Bros. Ultimate at 12. Pokemon Sword and Shield at 13. Notice Nintendo fucking dominating, by the way. Mortal Kombat 11 at 14. Crash Bandicoot, it's about time, going from 65 to 15, thanks to its Nintendo Switch launch. Uh, Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild at number 16, jumping from 20. Uh, Madden NFL 2020, uh, 2021, falling from number 5 last month to 17. Uh, NBA 2K21 fell from 13 to 18. Super Mario Party, some fucking how, is in the mix here, going from 2020, or 22 to 19. And then FIFA 21 falls from 12 to 220 so pretty um pretty impressive in the scheme of things for nintendo i mean nintendo really just really just swinging it around man they're they're feeling their oats and they're like fuck yeah we're selling all our games and we're selling out and um kudos to them because very very impressive so anyway ps5 is still the fastest selling console in u.s history And uh, myself and many other YouTubers, many other people online have been vocal about their displeasure for PlayStation and what's happening with their uh, ecosystem, if you will. We're going to turn this into a a PlayStation thing now, right? We always use ecosystem for Xbox. And, um, 
you know, all I'll say is I'm not surprised by any of these numbers. Uh, PlayStation 5 launched with two really great exclusives. You had, um, of course, Mar- Miles Morales. You had um, Demon's Souls Remake. Demon's Souls Remake really being the only true next-gen game we saw. Um, and then you have Bug Snacks, which I've heard is pretty solid and takes a dark turn, uh, which I'm curious about. It's why I want to see that game. Um, but there was Bug Snacks. And now we're seeing Returnal coming up soon and Ratchet and Clank. There was a bit of a lull there, and that's where Xbox tactically punched quite hard in the gut of PlayStation. Uh, but it just goes to show that I've said this a lot about people on Twitter, especially what you see online isn't indicative of what's happening in real life. So more people just care about getting their hardware and moving on. Um, and I think people don't care that PlayStation's investing strictly in blockbusters. Now, by the way, this is not reactionary. There hasn't been enough time, I think, for the market to respond. It will be more telling in the long term. But do know PlayStation, these numbers are quite telling. They're doing just fine. They continue to break records, even though people can barely find them. But the second they are available, people buy them out. And um, yeah, that's crazy to really think about. But I really wanted to throw this in here because I think it balances out the conversation a bit. And I think uh, it's well-deserved. I do think the PS5, I have a lot more problems with that than I did with the PS4 at launch. The PS4 at launch, I was like hooked. I loved its presentation. Uh, The games I were less crazy about. Uh, which is weird because I was still on it all the time. I was looking for reasons to use it. Um, but early on, there was it. Whereas the PS5 now, with Soulstorm being day one, forgot to throw that in there. It's a PS Plus game on PS5. Um, you know, like that's awesome. Like they're supplementing it and um, there's more to play. And so I think that speaks to people more than like, hey, we're focusing on blockbusters. Once again, long term is going to speak here. Because PlayStation has things announced, and so they need to date and show them. Whereas Xbox has really nothing announced that isn't on a trip that isn't on a double A or an indie level. They have plenty of that coming, like supportive titles, but they don't really necessarily have your big AAA stuff outside of Halo. And it's why I've been a big advocate for Starfield. Um, I think Starfield can very much happen this fall because Xbox, they need to fill out their calendar a bit, right? The the Game Pass is a good supplemental thing as well. Um, and it's good that people are going to save their money. Uh, but th- that's why I'm saying pay attention to long-term numbers because these numbers are significant. PlayStation broke a record and continues to break a record and they will break records. But I think what we're heading for this this generation to me is very reminiscent in both partnerships as well as just the strength of both brands. It it's reminiscent of PS3 and 360, which I think is exciting. Probably one of my favorite generations. Um and in a lot of ways, despite some games coming from the PS4 and Xbox One generation, I liked way more than anything from 360 and PS3. I enjoyed the competition of PS3 and 360 especially now in hindsight, being able to say like, wow, Xbox had Lost Odyssey. They had Halo 3. You had Gears. You had Infinite Undiscovery. Just name a few. And then on PlayStation, you had stuff like Battle Royale. PlayStation All-Stars Battle Royale, by the way. I should specify that because Battle Royale is kind of a tainted name now. Um, But you have PS All-Stars Battle Royale, um, like Starhawk. Then you had God of War 3. Um, You had Killzone. You had Resistance, you just had Infamous. There were just so many different things happening on both sides. And so I'm happy to see PlayStation is strong. 
uh, because this is good for Xbox as well. If you're really one of those people who, for some reason, obsessed with a piece of plastic, first of all, get the fuck over yourself. But number two, realize that this is good for the competition. Realize that PlayStation succeeding pushes Xbox to make a bigger Game Pass deal. It pushes them to make a bigger third-party deal. Um, and so what I meant by similarity in partnerships is like Bethesda and Xbox and Square Enix and Xbox were pretty tight knit during that generation of 360 and PS3. Um, so seeing Octopath come to Xbox, not PlayStation, seeing Outriders Day One Game Pass, seeing, of course, the Bethesda deal with Xbox um, reminds me a lot of that generation, right? Because you'd have Oblivion on 360 and only 360 for a while, um, continuing on that partnership from Morrowind. And so... You know, I'm, I'm excited to see what happens now. Uh, and hopefully more people continue to get their hands on these consoles where developers can feel comfortable developing for next-gen only, right? Cross-gen typically is the awkward teenage phase of gaming, right? Where you're just like, eh, you're all right, I guess. Like, you're kind of annoying, but I'll deal with you, right? Um, you want to see them take full advantage of the hardware. And... I know some devs I've seen have spoken out saying like this isn't holding us back, but I think the reality is that that's the point of a new generation, if I'm not mistaken, is the idea of, hey, when you get your hands on the new tech that can do more, you are capable of doing more by leaving behind your Xbox One from 2013, which, you know, that along with the PS4 launched in not the most powerful state. Now, we have some somewhat future-proofed consoles in a way, and that's super exciting. So we're entering what I believe will be a very strong era of gaming. We just read all those Nintendo numbers. They are going to continue to pour it on. Um, only thing I worry about with this success of PS5 and the success of Nintendo is, in Nintendo's case, we're probably not going to see a, a new Mario Kart. I'm not going to see that for a while. Um, like, I want to see a new Mario and Rabbids with the money that they're making off all their games, but who knows if they do that. Um of course, the PlayStation, we know what's happening. They've seen a major amount of success from their blockbusters in the PS4 era, so they're going all in on it. So I just hope that at least Xbox and Nintendo uh, love to experiment. Fingers crossed on that, but happy to see that PlayStation is continuing to succeed, and I think this competition will be great for all parties, and uh, we'll see where it leads us. But for now... Let's go ahead and shift our attention over to Square Enix a little bit more. Um, so I made a video about this. If you want to check that out, please do. Would appreciate it. Um, we talked about Xbox um, being in the mix along with a couple other companies on potentially acquiring Square Enix. Square Enix came out denied all, all things coming out of Bloomberg that, hey, we're being acquired. They're like, nope, we're not. I apologize. That was probably really loud. Like you probably heard the water splash. I'm going to do it again. Hold on. It's definitely impossible to avoid because if you're watching, this is a smart water bottle. This thing's tall as shit. So when I have like a, a, an inch left in the bottle and you lean back, it's just going to, it's going to crash. All right. So square Enix, let's talk. Um, so Xbox, PlayStation, of course, were in the rumors of purchasing Square Enix. That doesn't surprise me at all. Um, I said in the video that I really do believe that Square Enix is most likely to shop itself at some point in the future. We learned how long it took Bethesda to sell, where talks started in 2018. So 
Square Enix can get away with saying right now, like, hey, we're not we're not planning on selling because that might be two years away, three years away. So by then it's the conversation's absolutely gonna change. It could change next week, right? So multiple years is enough time for that to change. But uh, I know they owe it to their investors to say that, so they're not gonna be selling soon, at least from what I'm expecting. But I do think that Square Enix and their moves are quite reminiscent of Bethesda striking exclusive deals, inflating their value, investing in mobile. I'm talking about Final Fantasy VII. I'm talking about pocket editions of games. They're investing in mobile. And all this stuff raises their value as a company where when they sell off, just like Bethesda did, you get a lot of money. And especially now with a market of buyers companies that are hungry and investing i do see square enix being willing to sell off um but the thing that's kind of crazy is that square enix holds a boatload of ip chrono trigger final fantasy octopath project triangle strategy um trials of mana i mean think of like that era of jrpgs and what they were doing in the 90s uh, I'm not going to act like, obviously, I was around then. I was in diapers at that point. But as a game enthusiast, you know, I've studied it. And you look at the slew of IP that any company would be able to get their hands on. And I do feel like when you start to do the math and you look at the Bethesda deal, I think Microsoft could be the only potential purchaser because it's a buyer's market right now. And, and so companies are selling high. So my interpretation, even though Square Enix is saying no, is if Microsoft pulls through and says, we got $30 billion with your name on it, Square Enix will be like, wait, what? Uh, okay. And, um, you know, that's exciting for fans of, of whatever brand ends up snatching up Square Enix if that ever happens. But what I really focused on in my video was independence and how there needs to be a balance. A lot of people aren't thinking about a balance because we're living in a world where only the biggest acquisition we've seen so far is Bethesda and Xbox. And these things take a while to come together. And when they do get announced, we saw it was like half a year later that we finally saw the deal become official with Xbox and Bethesda. So yeah, of course, um, there's a lot of time between then and now. But a lot of people are not thinking about when those acquisitions start to happen and we start to lose independent companies. And I'm not talking about indie companies like indie indies you know the tiny shovel knight team like uh what's the name yacht club not like that you know a smaller tighter team i'm talking like independent brands like a ubisoft um i would rather see those stay independent why though would i rather that while bethesda goes with xbox number one is whoever was managing the cash at bethesda was doing a pretty bad job in my opinion because you know, they invested heavily in some games that didn't do that well. They gave them a chance, which was smart, but they marketed them horribly. Deathloop is being marketed horribly. <laughs> I don't know if it's intentional at this point, um, but Deathloop's being marketed horribly. Ghostwire is non-existent. Prey's marketing was abysmal. No one even knew about the DLC, uh, Mooncrash. Um, Dishonored, underperformed, The Evil Within underperformed. Their marketing just was not doing the trick. They needed Game Pass big time. Not only that, but like I said, with those games underperforming, you can only underperform so many times, which is something 
by the way, I brought up with Square Enix when I've talked about it before. Square Enix faced a lot of underperformances, like cratering underperformances between Final Fantasy 15. You know, that game was in development since, what, 2012, 2013? I think before that even. Like, that game was in, around for a while. as versus 13 before it turned into 15. Like, it was around for a while. And then it was so... It, was, it, it made so little money, and they overinvested so much that they cut off the DLC schedule for it and said, we can't finish this. They were sinking themselves with that ship. And then Avengers comes around, and it does fucking terrible. It sold all right. But that game's player base died, and its peak on Steam was horrible, especially in comparison to Outriders, which we see charting already in the top three. And I think it will continue to chop, chart, I said chop, chart in the top 10. Uh, you know, I, I just, um, I can't help but think Square Enix, you know, the way they're behaving and, and how their release cycle is going, uh, just reminds me a lot of Bethesda. So keep an eye out on that. But for now, they deny it. And uh, for now, there isn't a acquisition coming through. Um, but, you know, I, I do want these companies to remain independent. I'm not sitting here rooting for Square Enix to get bought up. Like, I think Bethesda, where they do their best work with Xbox, that's like a fact. You just look at their work with on PlayStation, and it's terrible. Mostly Bethesda Game Studios, but a lot of their games performed poorly there, didn't release there, and just mm, not a good look. Um, and so I think it just makes sense for Bethesda to just cozy up with a company like Xbox and just get to work and focus on the games because when they started to get bigger and do E3 and they really peaked in 2015 and 2016, they fell off a fucking cliff afterwards. So I think it was a wise buy for Microsoft and I think it made sense for Bethesda Whereas Square Enix, I detect some, I'm using a little Star Wars here. I detect a bit of weakness within them, but I don't think so much so that it's going to be like time to sell now. Um, So yeah, just uh, keep your eye on them next couple of years. I don't know. I have a, a pretty big feeling about them, but we'll see. I mean, those exclusivity deals, Game Pass helps surge Outriders uh, with day one. It charted top three despite it being on Game Pass. That was overall sales across all platforms. And then uh, Final Fantasy VII Remake and inter- Intermission now is what it's called, I think, or Integrate, whatever. Um, that That's exclusive with PlayStation, so they're getting money from that contract. And we saw Bethesda do a similar thing with uh, Deathloop and Ghostwire with PlayStation. But yeah, if they're going to secure their bag that way, which as I documented in my video, they've done for well over a decade with individual partnerships, then um, yeah, hopefully they continue that way because I like having Square Enix independent. I think that they've created a lot of cool opportunities for each brand. And I don't think I'd want to see them all go to one. So with that, Let's go ahead and mosey on over to our last bit of news. I don't know if we'll have much to say on this because details are indeed scarce, but let's take a look at Wasteland 3. So it's funny because on Defining Duke, we were just talking about this, and so I can already see the comments. We were just talking about, is Wasteland 3 profitable? Do you think they made enough to do an expansion of some kind? Because it came out in August, and it just all we heard was it got a million players, and that was it. So here we are now. Wasteland 3's first story expansion arrives this June. 
Uh, the story centers on rangers being sent to the factory complex of Steeltown on behalf of the Patriarch. The town is responsible for manufacturing the technology and equipment that powers the region, but the production has been disrupted. Upon your arrival to the factory, you discover it's mired in chaos, such as constant bandit raids, worker strikes, and other problems. Your job, fix this mess before Steeltown collapses for good. And there was an announcement teaser. Um, the expansion features new quests, as well as fresh enemies to tackle either alone or with a friend in co-op. So if, for those of you who don't know, uh, yes, there is co-op play for Wasteland 3. So I have an excuse to go back now for another playthrough. Uh, this has been a thing for a while, but I'm saying with this expansion. Continuing on with our read here with Game Informer. Added features like telegraphed attacks, stacking status effects, non-lethal weapons, and elemental shields add new wrinkles to combat, as does revamped arsenal of weapons and armor. The introduction of combat and gear scaling means enemies will now keep pace with players, whether it's their first or fifth time taking on Steel Town. Game director David Rogers said in a press release, The Battle of Steel Town represents not just a fantastic new chapter in Wasteland 3's story, full of choice and consequence and Wasteland 3's unique brand of humor. It's also a culmination of all the hard work we've put into the game since launch. For those players... Uh, for those playing Wasteland 3, for the first time, they'll be playing the best version of the game. For players coming back to visit Steeltown, they're in for a treat with a new story, characters, and combat mechanics that really change up tactics and challenges in a new way. They'll also see characters and stories. They started in the base game, make an appearance with new interactions for everyone, uh, for everyone's favorite foul-mouthed parrot, Santa's elves, where are they now, and more. All of this is complemented with incredible new post-apoc music. Uh, if you've been itching to jump into this, uh, the Battle of Steel Town launches on June 3rd for PS4, Xbox One, and PC for $13.99. Game Pass subscribers get a 10% discount on the expansion. Uh, this article comes from Marcus Stewart at Game Informer. So, hey, not bad. More Wasteland 3. No complaints from me. More than happy to sink time into that game. Been itching for another playthrough. My buddy and I were talking about it, and so... I'm more than happy to put the time into this game. I, I kind of like this whole uh, non-lethal edition. This is pretty much an, another uh, a new way to play the game. I thought non-lethal was in the base game, though. Someone might have to remind me, because it has been since September that I played this. But telegraphed attacks, elemental shields, new wrinkles. Probably the most replayable game we saw last gen. As much as I like Divinity more... Uh, it is my favorite RPG of last gen. Wasteland 3. As it's getting patched too, maybe that can change, by the way, because Wasteland 3 is fucking rad. Um, if you were, like, I have so many people in my audience that love Choice and Consequence, but they're like, I need an action game. Like, stop, grow up, get over it, play Wasteland 3, thank me later. You can play with co-ops, so you can suffer with a buddy on how boring it is to take, like, five seconds to do a move in combat. It's pretty fast moving for a tactical game in all seriousness. It really does give you your turn back fast. So what happens is you make your individual moves and you think it out, but the opponent moves instantly all as one. So they'll move as a group. So it's literally, you can spend as much time as you want on your play. And then when it's their turn, it's like 10 seconds tops and boom, it's, it's your go. So can't really add much to this. Excited to talk about this on defining Duke for sure. Um, but I can't wait to just, I mean, here's the thing, right? I'll add this. What's cool is that this is one of those situations, like I talked about with the outer worlds, where if you come in for a complete edition, I mean, this, 
looks to be because the patriarch's giving you the mission. This looks to be kind of like a like an integration, not an expansion afterwards, uh, but something that's there within the base game. So I'm really happy to see that because when you come in, if it's naturally slotted there, I mean, the amount of choice and consequence now for that, uh, we don't know how long this is, but Wasteland 3 was, was a decent length. And so adding this in and all the choices and all the replayability, it's actually crazy. It's, it's scary. It's scary. All right. Enough on Wasteland 3. Let's talk to the patrons. How are y'all doing? Not our longest episode, but my jaw is starting to get a little sore. I'll be I'll be real with y'all. All right. So Paco Luigi did clarify for us that he made the wife listen to Defining Duke, Sacred Symbols, Sacred Symbols Plus, Honest Car Ride. I appreciate that, Paco. So um thank you so much for that because I was wondering, he was he he stopped for a uh uh, for those who don't know, Paco stopped to stretch his legs on the road trip. And, I was, and we said on the show, like, hey, are you listening to us in the car? Like your poor family, like listening to all of us just blare into the speakers. And so it seems that our suspicions were indeed confirmed. All right. Let's talk to Coach Blue. Bonjour. What do each of you think makes for a good MMO? What aspects do you personally value the most in an MMO? And then, what do you think is the most critical part that an MMO needs to execute? I know Maddie is playing ESO right now, which is personally the only MMO I have ever liked. All right, so loaded question here, Coach Blue. I'm going to try my best. For starters, I think what makes a good MMO is a great loop. So sometimes it's not overcomplicating it. I think of RuneScape as one. Some of the most fun I had in RuneScape was sitting in chat and doing fires. So if anyone has never played RuneScape, there's a fire making skill. And I would just sit outside the Varrock bank and I just like my tinderbox and a bunch of logs. And I just go back into my bank, grab more logs, make another set of fires. And I just be chatting with people. Um, so there's that blend there of that type of combat. Or I'm sorry, that type of skill grinding and combat. Um, where ESO has a bit of that DNA, whereas you do things, they skill up and it's like Skyrim in that manner. And then you can, you can morph skills. So ESO does scratch a particular itch. I will say, I think that's what makes for a good MMO. But what also does is when the stories aren't throwaway, <clears throat> I like when they get creative with them and final fantasy 14 apparently does that the best. I will say when I was playing Final Fantasy XIV, I put about 30 hours into it, just the base game. Haven't gotten to like having sword and all that stuff. But when I was playing that, I do have to say um, I appreciated its story because it at least was trying. And I've only heard that since then it gets better. So I want to get through those expansions. I've taken a long enough break where I think I'm going to hop in. But that's the other thing is a good story because that's typical for most games, right? You expect a good story. But here's the thing is that MMOs never try to prioritize that. They try to make this grand conflict and put you at the center of it, even though while you they treat you like you're the only person doing it, even though you're not. ESO is guilty of this. Um, so for me, I value a good loop, and um, I, I think that's what makes for a good MMO personally um, because the idea is to keep replaying. And so that ties into additional content and updates that type of stuff, making them valuable to hop in. And the most critical critical aspect that MMO needs to execute, I think, is 
its launch window. Um, oh, I, how did I forget storytelling with MMOs? Holy shit. Star Wars The Old Republic is fantastic. That's a beautiful example of amazing storytelling. Sorry. Completely forgot that. I'm sure a couple of people in the audience were pulling their hair out because they're like, he talks about it all the time. It's because I've had my head in ESO, I think. So I wasn't even thinking of that, truth be told. Um, but I, I think the most critical aspect is its launch and keeping you hooked. The reason I say that is because, as you can see, I've moseyed across multiple MMOs. I started as a RuneScape kid, dropped them for years, came into the old Republic, liked it, dropped it after a summer, moved to ESO, played that a lot. Um couple hundred hours maybe in, in combined with all my accounts and all my platforms and then moved back to star wars the old republic because that's kind of like an annual winter thing for me and my buddies you know we all hop on uh swotor and then went back to eso so i've just been meandering right now I'm, i love playing eso because i love playing games with my girlfriend and i think that's like the most fun thing um but eso as an mmo is also very good at its core and i think it's because another thing they need to nail is not only its launch window with its content updates and being stable but i i really do think it's about the, the fees that you charge like part of what i think i would be addicted to final fantasy 14 if i didn't have to pay 15 fucking bucks a month it feels so arbitrary it feels so old especially when elder scrolls online every fucking june like it's clockwork is giving you a big-ass expansion to pay for and then repackaging the game and selling it. And then I find out when I bought it for my PS4, I find out that you not only get, like, because I bought the Elsewhere version. So I find out you not only get that, but you get Somerset. You get Morrowind. You get everything beforehand, pretty much. And I'm like, are you fucking kidding me? That value is insane. So I think, if anything, it's it's not feeling like I'm just being nickel and dimed every step of the way in an MMO. Something that Black Desert's guilty of. And I think, yeah, with Final Fantasy XIV's popularity, I don't give a fuck what anyone says. I don't think you can justify to me a 15 buck a month subscription fee. It's the same thing with I said with UB+. It's the same thing I said uh, when comparing it to Game Pass. It's like, why would I pay $15 a month for one game? It's why I played Final Fantasy XIV for a month both times I did, because I like the game a lot. But you're crazy if you think, well, let's do the math. Let's do the math. Calculator, I summon you. Let's see here, because math's not my specialty. 15 times 12. I could buy, if we're looking at the $60 price tag, I could buy three games a year, which I do. I buy all my games I review, so that's valuable to me. For the for the amount for the amount of a subscription subscription fee, sorry, I'm slurring and stuttering in this part. Uh, for the amount of a subscription fee for Final Fantasy XIV, I don't know, man. Do you have to pay for the expansions for Final Fantasy? I mean, that would be a little more understandable. Let me check. I'll admit I'm uneducated on that part. Do you need to pay for Final Fantasy XIV expansions? Let's see here. I think they have bundles. Um, let's go to the product page for Final Fantasy XIV. So there's a complete edition. The Shadowbringers edition. Yeah, I think you got to buy them individually. So the starter edition comes with A Realm Reborn and Heaven Sword. The complete edition comes with all of them. Now, the question is, how much is a complete 
edition. Because starter edition is 20 bucks download. And then complete edition 60. Okay, that's fair. Yeah, if you get all that for okay, that's good. But still, fuck it. Fuck your subscription fee. All right. Anyway, hopefully I answered that thoroughly. Golden Goose is up next. Howdy, Maddie, or howdy, gentlemen. Maddie, I got to know what is so great about Outriders? I feel like everyone else is having a great time, but I can't find anything positive to say. Am I missing something, or am I just a terrible person? Keep making amazing content. Man, I picked a great episode to get rid of Carrick and Dustin. <laughs> I'll add this one in too here because the pretender wrote in about Outriders. I'm blown away at how Outriders got enemy designs so wrong. When Bungie were working on Halo Combat Evolved, they found out that fighting enemies with hit scan weapons isn't fun, so they changed it to projectile based. When you watch a skilled player on Halo, it's like a dance. Going to hit scan direction promotes limited strategy and build. So, um, number one, it's funny because to answer Golden Goose's question, I think that the enemy variety is good. I thought it was solid. You have exploding spiders coming at you, and you have these bandits and dinosaur-like creatures and just all manner of things to fight in Outriders, where I thought it was you were, I was changing up how I was playing constantly. Um, but maybe I'm not meeting these hit scan enemies. I don't know because I'm part of what I love about it to kind of bounce back and forth between these two. Uh, what I love about it is the aggression that's encouraged. Uh, I don't dismiss, by the way, the thing with golden goose here is I don't dismiss the idea that like, Hey, outriders is a pretty flawed launch. All things accounted for. It's not a good launch. Um, and it had like the inventory bug that even me, like someone who really likes the game, I didn't touch the game for a while because I didn't want to lose all my legendaries I got. Um, but what I love most is it's aggression that's rewarded. So the, the loop of getting low on health and fucking sprinting at someone, it's why I love Bloodborne. Like that shit clicks with me. Cause it's like, oh shit, I'm scared. Instead of hunkering down, run at your enemy and beat the life out of them. That's awesome to me. Um, cause you just constantly have these stitched in like moments of oh boy oh boy oh boy i'm about to die oh no oh like it's every combat scenario is like that because these enemies are strong but just strong enough uh and at least in solo it's felt pretty well balanced in that regard for me i know in multiplayer like i've played co-op in this game yeah they get a lot more health and i think it can be a lot more difficult that's where the world tier balancing comes in but the other thing, Golden Goose, so I don't ramble too much about Outriders, what I like about it is its loot. Um, for all its flaws, launch, bugs, crossplay issues, really being kind of basic in premise, its loot is so responsive to how you play from its weapon mods to mods that augment your skills to mo mods that augment how you kill enemies. Like where I had one where a fucking sword came out of the sky. Are you kidding me? That with legendaries and, and changing out your skills constantly based off what's being upgraded with your mods and the crafting system being simple but effective. That's, to me, the juice. A lot of these games love to hand you the big colors and say, like, here's an orange legendary, but it's, like, the 15th you've got, and it doesn't really do much different from another weapon. This game feels like there's an impact, and I love that. 
So for me, it's because I've played a little bit of Destiny when it first came out, the first one. I, I put a decent amount of time into it, about 20, 30 hours, which is nothing compared to I know most people on Destiny 1 and 2. But like I didn't feel like my loot was really changing my gameplay. Even Borderlands, I have to say Borderlands, one of my favorite co-op loot shooters. There is a feeling at times of that responsiveness to your gun changing, of course, with the rate of fire, um, with the with the uh, make of the weapon, like if it's Jacobs or something like that, or it's more typical bullet-based versus Militech. Um, yeah, those things all change uh, how you play the game, or I should say they really change how a weapon performs, but Outriders actively shifts how you play the game. So there's a difference there, right? There's a difference between how your gun plays versus how you play. So I may find really good loot that changes these skills in a demonstrably better way. You know, more health, more AOE damage, but it's on the center mass skill I've got for my Devastator. It's like, okay, let's put on center mass. And oh wait, I have this equipment here that upgrades that ability too. And suddenly I'm playing with a different set of abilities and weapons. And like no other game has done that for me. So hopefully Golden Goose, I have answered this question for you. I just, um, you know, I don't sit here and act like, hey, this is the game that's going to uh, dominate game of the year list, but it's one of my favorite games of the year. I say that without shame, man, because games are fun. And this game is fucking fun. It's the most fun game I played this year. I think Hitman 3 is the best game I played this year. It's the most replayable game I played this year. And it's the most well-made game I played this year. But fun, just raw fun. I really do think it's uh, Outriders. And the other thing is, I think a lot of people don't see what's good about Outriders. And I totally, this is part of the game's fault. Um, but it's also part of the way it's structured. It's kind of got to be this way. Is is uh, getting to that point where you see those mods. Because in the early going, the first number of hours, you're getting green weapons as like a maximum rarity. And they don't have like any any mods attached to them. Then you start to get the blue weapons and that's when you start to see mods and things that do things in combat change how you play even more. And when you get into that rhythm, that's when it kicks off. So once I, for me, I thought Outriders was solid. And then I got to that point where I started to unlock those things. And I was like, damn, pretty good time here. Our chandel is up next. Greetings, gents. I'm going to break the mold and be taboo and wish you all a gloriously wonderful day. Well, hey, hold on. I think I beat you to the punch on that one. I did it at the beginning of the show. So thank you for joining me. I hope you still read my question. Of course we will. As I've returned to gaming, I've noticed a significant echo chamber where it seems like many video game websites and YouTubers are all repeating the same stories. I really appreciate how Maddie breaks down and develops a thoughtful conversation around it. Thank you. That's very nice of you to say. So I'm wondering what websites do you depend on for the most up-to-date news and stories about what's going on in the industry to avoid the echo chamber? So once again, thank you. That's very kind of you to say, and that's definitely a goal of my channel is not to break the mold, but to be progressive in thought and expect higher intelligence in conversations, which I know should be expectation, but let's be real. You you read Kotaku getting fooled by a, a, a dildo ad, and it's like, no, the, the, the intelligence level has not been elevated in our industry, and I'm never going to let them live that down. That's embarrassing. They, they should be ashamed. Uh, so... I'm going to try to answer your question, but I have to offer some thoughts first on the idea of the echo chamber in the industry because I'm sure some will want to hear my thoughts on it and hopefully you find it insightful. 
So I think a lot of this echo chamber spawns from two things. Number one, I don't need to name names. It's really the same people who've been running the same party for the last decade or so. The same names recycled throughout the industry constantly. So with those names being so prominent, people try to attach themselves to these names to build themselves in turn. And so they think like them, they act like them. And so, and, and it creates this, as you said, echo chamber. The other aspect is um, to some extent, I do believe cancel culture was, was pretty strong in our industry. And I'm not naming specific scenarios. I'm speaking very generally in this because I know there have been some serious things that have happened and I'm not downplaying any of those. I'm more so speaking on the level of politics. And so when you think maybe differently on a, a political level from some people, like like there there will be people who get ostracized for it. And so some people feel like they've got to conform in some way, shape or form if they don't share similar worldviews and and in turn game views or whatever views that some that 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 other people in the industry do um it's just you got to look around and see for yourself i don't know how else to say it i don't mean to drag politics into it but it's it's real it's true um and so that's what's happening is because when you enter People want to build themselves because they love games, for example, but they don't want to be hit with gatekeeping of some kind for whatever reason that may be. And so some people, you know, they, they conform. And so I think it does lead to a lacking of original thought. I also think because it's very easy to be put on blast, a lot of people play it safe and don't try to carry beyond what needs to be said in the conversation. So something like, Hogwarts Legacy, um, something like Fallout the Frontier. I admittedly didn't dive into Hogwarts Legacy because I felt like it's just giving oxygen to a campaign that's clearly going on. Um, whereas something like Fallout the Frontier, there were so many people who were hyping it up. And I think for us as creators, you know, it's our duty to to be able to bring that information. But when shit went wrong with Fallout the Frontier... Yeah, it really sucked. Like, I didn't want to make that video about how it was a complete mess, but I think that's our duty. And so some people don't like, some people want to bury their heads in the sand on certain things. So, you know, the, the echo chamber is really a product of, I think, those two pillars. Same people, same story, and ostracizing. Because here's the other thing. Cancel culture aside, forget all of that. The games industry may be one of the most immature places I've ever seen. I don't know how else to put it. The fucking grudge holding that exists behind closed doors. You would you would lose your mind if you saw some of the shit. I don't know how else to put it. I mean, there are people who hold on to things for fucking years. And I'm talking about menial things. Like critiquing a game too harshly. That's it. You're off the list. So if you're wondering why there's also an echo chamber, people are concerned about the preservation of their careers. And so they don't want to piss these companies off because you get, you get situations where you just get blacklisted for not liking a game. And it's like, that's fucking bullshit. 
um, or speaking like how I speak here. It's like, what? You're going to say that about us? The corporation? Fuck him. We don't need him. It's like, okay, I don't fucking need you either. You know, like, I don't care. Um, and that's the thing is what you may have noticed on my channel. I'm not even going to try to to gas myself up, but I'm just saying what you may have noticed is just someone who like, I'll find a way. I like games. I'll find a way to fucking talk about them. Like, I hope that my opinion and my research buoys above the ability to be there day one because sometimes I can't be. You know, there have been so many companies that have gone dark on me just because I've been critical of their games in the past. Since the Avengers game, Square Enix doesn't answer my emails. They don't. <laughs> and I don't know. Too fucking bad, I guess. Like, the game was terrible. Um, like, what do you want me to do? Lie for you? This game is great. I love it. Please give me another review copy. Fuck that. You know, like, that's, to me, that's fucking obscene that anyone would, A, expect that of you, but B... That people actually do do that. They, they do go out of their way to like give these companies the benefit of the doubt and scratch their backs. And I never understood that. Like that's coming from someone. I shouldn't say I never understood that. That's coming from someone rather that started off his career as a, as a known Bethesda fanboy. The back scratcher of Bethesda. And you step away from that and realize over time like. Hey, this corporation's going to find a way. It's going to be here no matter what. Like, defending its every action, giving everyone, you know, this constant, like, oh, it's okay. Rubbing their head a little bit. Like, it's okay. Like, fuck, man. It's okay to be critical. So, to answer your question on where I go, I just look for the news itself. And then I read, I dig as deep as possible for the original source. And that's why I hope people come to my channel because I, I trust that I have done the digging so you do not have to. Um, and I'm not trying to redirect this to myself. I'm genuinely trying because you may not have time or the ability to listen to a video. So what I'm trying to really just say here is IGN posts it. If I see IGN wrote this article and it's news I care about, I will click on it and then I will read that first paragraph where they say in a report by – and let's say it's gamesindustry.biz. I will go there immediately. I want to see the original text, print, all of that. Then let's say it's because Hideo Kojima is working with Xbox. Let's say that was the report from gamesindustry.biz. I look around everywhere with keywords like Xbox, Hideo. I look at old content and kind of build a, uh, a case, if you will, on what's going on, a case file. So... Really, my best answer is it's not about who you're watching. I don't even think I should be your one and only source because there's maybe certain things. I prioritize maybe RPGs and Xbox news on my channel more than the average uploader. Um, and I think I've continued to branch out. And I just mentioned at the, st the start of this show, I'm going to branch out even more. But as it stands, you can see what I love and what I want to cover and what makes sense for my channel to cover. Um so I think it's just about having a lot of sources. If I feel comfortable reading a site and just taking it as is, I'd say gamesindustry.biz is probably my favorite. seems like an intelligent group there that just kind of knows the business. And um, I don't see them pulling the same bullshit as far as I'm aware. And I think it's because they're very, very news centric. I don't think I've seen gamesindustry.biz come out with like reviews, hot takes, all that shit. So I, I think that's kind of kept them a little more pure in my in my perspective because you'll see like 
I remember I made a video two years ago about GameSpot giving Greedfall a five. And, like, it was just such a fucking dumb review. Um, not even because of the opinion, just the the reasoning behind it. So my other point, uh, and then we'll move on, is know the creators. You can look at my whole uh, uh, um, catalog of videos and kind of get an idea of my opinions and stuff. Like know the opinions of the people you follow. With that, let's move on. Big D man's up next. Greetings, gents. With the m- recent missteps of Sony Interactive Entertainment, everyone has been trashing Jim Ryan. My question is, do you think Jim Ryan will get replaced? With the recent Bloomberg article, it's now mainstream that PlayStation is on a downfall, which will push the heads of Sony to start reacting. No, because if anything, they're going to want to keep Jim because he's going to make them a lot more money with his mobile and his movies and his TV shows. He's going to make them a shit ton of money, and they're going to be begging him to stay there. I don't think Jim's going anywhere. Because here's the thing. The Xbox TV initiative with Don Matrick fucking killed Xbox for a whole generation. It really did. It wasn't until Game Pass, and even then, it was hard for them to really roll back. Um, That damage is done. PlayStation 5 still has great games, great studios. It's a good console. No, they're not kicking Jim Ryan out. Pen in Pant is up next. What up, gentlemen? I recently bought Suikoden 1 through 4 on the PS3 store, so I'd have them forever. Do you all have a favorite Suikoden game? And if you've never played these games, what's your favorite PS1 JRPG? So I have Suikoden 2. I played a little bit of it. I think I was um, I think I was too young. I was like 17. So was I 17? It was around 2014, I think, they added it to the PlayStation store. By the way, Buy the Suikoden games and download them immediately. Forgot to mention that when I was talking about earlier. These games are expensive. And the digital path is the best way to have them. Please do get them. Because if you ever want to play them and you end up looking at the physical copies, your jaw may hit the floor. Um, So favorite Suikoden game would be the only one I played, which is two. I only played a little bit of it and I didn't play enough of it. I want to get back to that one. So I can't offer much commentary on that other than I know that there's a ton of party members, a ton of replayability. Have you played, uh, or what's your favorite PS1 JRPG? Here's the funny thing. I never owned a PS1 growing up. Never, ever, ever owned a PS1 growing up. Your boy was an N64 kid. So I was playing like, what, Quest 64 maybe? <laughs> like I, 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 uh, I really was introduced to RPGs with the original Xbox. That's where that kind of came through. So for me, uh, in and PS1 JRPGs, just like, what? What was that? Uh, completely missed generation for me. Bearded Pan is up next. What's up, ACG, MMP, and that good old D? Sorry, that, that is a great intro, and they have both missed it. What's the first irrational purchase you made as a teen slash kid when you finally started working and got your first couple of paychecks? I remember after getting a huge paycheck of a hundred bucks or so, I went to the local comic book store and bought six or seven volumes of Iron Man comic books because I didn't have any idea about saving money or responsible spending habits. Much love and average days to you all. Thank you, Bearded Panda. Um, hmm. Irresponsible purchase. Hmm. I feel like I'd be good at this. When I've oh, actually, you know, it's funny because. I'm sure I could ha- I can conjure up an answer for you. 
Um, but what I'm going to say is quite truthfully, I've always been known as a saver. I'm not anti-spending. Like I just talked to you all about how I'm going to go to the retro game store and I'm going to spend some money. And I invested heavily in my card collection. Like I've spent a lot of money on trading cards. Um, I'm not afraid to spend money. Just I typically, if I come into a lot of money, I'll spend a little bit of it, treat myself, and then I'll be like, I'm good. And I'll save and invest the rest. And that's all she wrote. So I'd say Pokemon cards. Uh, when I started making YouTube money, so to speak, I, you know, that's what we called it back then. I would just like that or take out. Like to me, that was the big deal. I'd never had money. So to me, it was like going out and getting Subway and then buying Dishonored. Like I remember that so well. It was a rainy day, which fits Dishonored and Dunwall so perfectly. But I remember so well, like just buying that game and buying Subway and spending like, I think 80 bucks that day and feeling really good about it because I worked for it. And even though I didn't have much money left after that, like a hundred bucks or something like that, um, it felt good because, you know, I, I loosened up and did that, but then I saved and stored the rest. So yeah, I, I don't know if I have a good answer for this. I apologize. Cause it's a great question. King Kellig is up next. Greetings, gentlemen. May you have a intrepid night and a historic day full of twists and turns as your countenance countenance basks in full effulgence. Holy shit! That's a. I need a voc. I need a. I need a dictionary for you. Number one, what do you gents think PlayStation should do if they want to develop a scheme similar to Xbox Game Pass? I'm going to be real with you. I'm going to skip this one because we answered this entirely in the last episode. Um, so go check that out. In fact, that's the name of our last episode was what will PlayStation's response to Xbox Game Pass be? Two, do you guys think that PlayStation should actually make something similar like a copy of Game Pass or should they make something completely different and unique? If so, what do you envision it would look like? Uh, we had a Defining Duke Ultimate episode about this and I would really like to see PlayStation do the retro thing. That was a rumor through a patent, like PS1, 2, and 3 games getting trophies and being supported, kind of like a Nintendo Online thing but it's PlayStation doing it because they've completely dropped like through and through backwards compatibility. So I will take anything, man. I will, I will eat from the hands of PlayStation. If they allow me to play resistance on my PS five, that would be great. So that's what I envision it as number three. Lastly, have the three of you considered gaming together and making a combined channel. You could stream multiplayer games on Twitch, like Dustin and upload funny or memorable clips Onto a new YouTube channel with all three of you. You may even consider making a group name for all of you lads. Stay loquacious, I believe that word is, gentlemen. And may the force ever be in your favor as long as you live. We get it. You're smart. Congrats. Um, have we considered gaming and making a combined channel? I know Dustin and I have. We tried to with Outriders. That didn't really go well because Outriders was broken on crossplay because we were on different platforms. I was on Xbox. He was on PC. And so now that's apparently fixed, but at the time of trying it, it was not working at all. And then um, outside of that, we've talked about doing more. Like we put Fallout 76 on our list of games that we want to play together. So Dustin and I will be streaming together because streaming's Dustin's main platform. It's his main thing that he likes to do. And I don't want this to, by the way, to at all sound like I'm throwing character under the bus, but I just, you all know me. I'm transparent. I just want to be real. I've had things planned with Carrick and I just, I don't think it's a priority for him and that's fine because I'm not entitled to it. And you know, 
we we talked about it on Defining Duke for weeks how we were going to do the event together whenever that March event got revealed, which ended up being ID at Xbox. Um, I said we were going to do that together, um, and uh, and he agreed, and so everyone knew. And then when I ended up streaming it, um, he told me his motherboard fried, so he couldn't show up or something fried in his computer. And then I'm setting up the stream, and I see that ACG just went live. So he's live with, like, three other people from, I think, his Patreon. So to me, that seemed like a, just a business obligation or whatever. But that's happened before. And so I don't think it's high on Carrick's priority list, and that's fine. You know, we podcast together. We have a good time. We're friends. And if we want, if he wants to make more content with me, I am game. But I will just say anything beyond the podcast is hard to get Carrick on for. So... Not throwing one on their bus, just to answer your question and be completely honest with you. That's kind of the reality of the uh, the triangle we've got here. Um, time is tight. So, yeah. Logan B's up next. My question for this week is that if the rumored KOTOR remake slash spiritual successor is to be believed, what, you, what game do you hope its combat is most like? More action-focused like Jedi Fallen Order, turn-based like the OG KOTORs, or something in between like Dragon Age Inquisition? P.S. A couple weeks ago in Defining Duke, you guys mentioned you had 360 reviews online, and neither of you mentioned the complete coincidence of having 360 reviews on an Xbox podcast. Have a great weekend, guys. P.P.S. I submitted this question a couple weeks ago, but I don't remember hearing your guys' response, so I think you skipped it. But that just might be me remembering wrong. I'll answer it real quickly anyway. Um, I would like Final Fantasy VII Remake. A little hybrid action there. Give me the action. Give me the tactics. Loading up a couple of flurries. Spending some like ATB kind of bar. I think that's the play. With like more reaction stuff. Similar to what we saw in... Jedi Fallen Order. Hell yeah. J. Lopez7331 is next. Sup, guys? Hope you dudes are doing well. My question is, are you guys looking forward to Stalker 2? I know there isn't much to do with content to cover at the moment, but so far it looks to be a good step in an immersive apocalyptic experience. What are your thoughts, and will you guys be covering when it comes out? Um, I'm undecided because I don't know enough about it. I've never played Stalker, but as a Fallout fan, people always said, go play Stalker, go check it out. You'd like it. So I do trust that. I do trust there's a fit there for my content, and I imagine there is, and I can't see myself not doing something like that because I did content for Metro. Um, So yeah, keep an eye out for it, but I don't know if I'm going to go ham with it. We'll see how much I like it and how much the audience responds to it. That's always a driving force too. Straw Hat Ninja. Hello, gentlemen. The visual novel genre is quickly becoming a genre that I find myself going back to more and more frequently. I love gameplay-focused ones like Phoenix Wright, Danganronpa, and Zero Escape, but I also enjoy reading-heavy ones like Umaniko and Steins Gate. I feel like visual novels are getting more popular in the U.S. lately, but do you ever see them getting popular with a more mainstream audience? I feel like there's always got to be a gimmick. Like If there's a stream gimmick, yeah, that's kind of the, the key, right? there was like a choice that the audience can make or something along those lines. Sure. But I kind of like that visual novels are just niche because Danganronpa I thought was very forward thinking in its gameplay because it's limited. It had to like innovate. I always say that limitation leads to innovation. So I think they, they're also lower budget. Let's be honest. It's a script with some very brief animation work and images of characters. And um, that costs money, but not nearly as much as anything else to making games. So I don't think it's going to become mainstream, but 
more popular? Sure. Especially because it's being thrown into more conversations with censorship. I think people are valuing them more. So people are talking about it more. And in turn, folks are checking it out. Apologies if I'm answering these quickly. Um, I think I'm going to answer just this last one because my jaw is starting to tighten up and I'm biting my tongue a lot and my throat's starting to dry up. So I want to give quality answers to these questions. And we still have, let's see here, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven left. So I don't think I can get that far in. So we will make a marker here and end with Unkempt Talk and pick up next week with Kirk. Hey, guys. Hope your day is above average, but with a few annoyances. For Carrick's sake, I hope they aren't tech annoyances, though. Anyway, my fiance and I just got a golden retriever puppy and named her Sill after a book character. Got me thinking, you're all dog owners, so what do you consider when naming dogs? In fact, I don't know if I know any Carrick's dog's name. Uh, Thanks again for the awesome weekly content. Shout out to Dustin's dreams. They've been really fun to chill out and enjoy. I wish you could hear that because that's like big for him to hear. Um, I don't know what Carrick... I think was Jade one of Carrick's dog's name because he always says shut up dog right that's what he said on the show like they start barking and go shut up dog so not quite sure but i think jade was one of them and um when i named my dogs i didn't name our first one duke our second one i named of course revan uh i try to think of things that are dope you know like i don't know how else to word it like i would love to get a female dog and 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 uh or or, or um and call and, and name it bastila maybe I, I think that'd be amazing <laughs> so i just think it would be cool you know and i think it would be great names for like a kid i always talk to my girlfriend i'm like hey we have a daughter one day bastila is the name she's like hell fucking no and i'm like come on it'd be sick though so my head's in a completely different place with the naming structure and i don't think i would be a good person to ask but that's all I've got for today. That's all the energy I've got. I've got to be honest. I'm starting to tap out a little bit here, and I don't want to give you all a shitty show. So thank you for your fantastic questions. There are still plenty more for us to go over. I don't mean to cop out on you all, but I hope you understand the circumstances of talking for an hour and a half or so by yourself. I'm biting my tongue like continuously. Like I'm just because your tongue starts to fatten up, and I'm just like rubbing my teeth against my, my tongue constantly, and it's so annoying. So with that, it's time for me to end the show. Hope you all enjoyed. I'll see you next week with episode 300 where it better be all three of us or else Dustin and Carrick are going to get roughed up. Anyway, thank you all so much once again. Hope you enjoyed. Do check out the Patreon if you want to support us with early access for this show and other little perks from the channel. I'll catch you soon. Stay sexy, stay active. I love you all. Peace. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.